I'm thrilled to talk to you guys today about one of our sponsors, which is Sutterbox Productions. If you're one of the many artists trying to book your next show, look no further. With years of experience and expertise, Stutterbox is committed to catering to the thing that matters most in a show or festival, coming together for a good time. If you appreciate local businesses and a personal touch, this is the company for you. Find them on Facebook for more information today. Hello everybody, you're watching Slash listening to the McAllister Hours. I'm your host, Cole McAllister. The show has hit a new low today. I have no more guests, so I have to interview my uncle. <laughs> An all-time low. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Um, the reason I had you on today is uh, you've had history both in the uh, police force and the military. Um, so this is not just a random episode. There's There's some purpose and substance here, I hope, anyways. Well, good. I mean, I am a rap fan, too. So. <laughs> Maybe we could talk about that. <laughs> um, let me ask you first, man. Uh, what got you started to uh, join the military? Your father. <laughs> really? Ironically, um, so my previous career was I was a golf professional. I, uh, I was in the midst of the PGA Apprentice Program. <laughs> I'd worked at uh, five different golf courses between Iowa, Louisiana, and Florida. And um, I ended up, uh, I had like a minor surgery on my toe. Mm -hmm. So I needed a place to crash uh, and get that taken care of. Um, It was also your father's idea. So I was on your couch. Um, before you were born, uh, your, your mom was pregnant Yeah, and, um, your mom wanted me to leave. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but your brother had, uh, basically said, and I think probably a similar question that a lot of parents ask. So like, what are you going to do with your life? Yeah. You're like, you, my couch is not the answer sort of thing. Um, and I really enjoyed the golf thing, but it uh, it didn't pay well, mm. and it required it's seasonal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know it snows here in Iowa, so you only get so many months. Yeah. And then you got to find a job down south, um, which is also a pain in the ass. But you got to get there um, when you don't make a lot of money. <laughs> and I drank a lot more and ate like shit and yeah. Um, you know, I was a kid, so. Um, so I money like I I live paycheck to paycheck um, for most of that time. So uh, I I didn't immediately call like a recruiter because your father had recommended that I get off the couch. Um, he suggested he said, "Do you have you ever thought of the military?" Hmm. More specifically, he said the army. I, was like, I ain't going to the fucking army. Um, and then I went out uh, drinking with my friend Big Fat Craig and uh, another friend Brent and Jason, and I uh, got really drunk. I think we were down at uh, the old bars on Ingersoll uh, before it became pompous, whatever mm-hmm. the version of Ingersoll is now. But um, and then at like 
three o'clock in the morning, I was watching TV in uh, your parents' living room, and a uh, Air Force commercial came on. It was um, these two buff guys and these two chicks in bikinis playing volleyball <laughs> and uh, smoking hot girls, and they're, you know, I had no idea it was a military commercial. And then at the end, it came up with a logo that said "Aim High Air Force," and it had a number. Um, and I grabbed your uh, your home phone, your parents' home phone. Um, I mean, technically, you were there, but um, and I called the number, I left a message, and I slept until like three o'clock that day. The next day. And woke up, there was 21 messages on the answering machine, all from recruiters. And I called one. <laughs> <laughs> I called one, and you know, two weeks later, I was in basic training. So, Oh, wow. Uh, the recruiter was kind of slick. Like, <laughs> like, you know, the first step was to take the ASVAB, you know, to meet with them, and then... Um, which I was reluctant because I was sober then. I was like, well, it's like, I don't know who fucking called you, but it wasn't me, you know. <laughs> They're like, well, you know, the first step's taking ASVAB, you know, it comes with a free meal if you want to do it. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Uh, you take the ASVAB at like 9.45 at night. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Damn. So... Which is drinking hours. Yeah, right? so that worked perfect for you, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I took the uh, I took the ASVAB, and it, it, sure enough, they catered in uh, dolls, uh, like uh, like Hy-Vee catering. I wasn't great, but it was a free meal. And then uh, the recruiter called me back and said, "Hey, look, uh, we got your results. You know, everything looks good. You know." Uh, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm still not interested. You know, he's like, um, well, let me ask him, do you, do you have medical now? Do you have medical insurance? I'm like, no. He's like, when's the last time you had a physical? He's like, I don't know, high school? <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, I could get you a free physical. Don't cost you nothing. Can't hurt, right? I was like, okay. He's like, hey, comes with a free meal. I was like, <laughs> all right, why not? So, um, so I took the physical. Uh, if you've ever met anyone in the military, it's an awkward experience. Mm -hmm. um, everyone there is kind of a dick. Um, but at the end, you uh, <laughs> you're naked in a room with a bunch of strangers, and you're. Like the little COVID spots where you stand yeah. six feet apart, you <laughs> yeah. know, everyone stands on a little dot. And um, you have to duck walk and squat naked. Uh, and the doctor. Oh, wow. And this really old doctor comes around and looks at your ass and balls and um, in a room with like 30 other fucking <laughs> people that you've never yeah. met. Um, you know, like on a Tuesday. You know, just like I'm like okay, I'm. We didn't have physicals like that in high school, so. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it just kind of, it all kind of happened. You know, they, um, <laughs> they, uh, 
it just moved like the process I, I was participating in recruiting process and I wasn't really aware of it <laughs> like I was basically next next thing within days I swore an allegiance to the flag in the country and uh, wow they gave Damn. me a plane ticket and I was on my way to basic training so wow. um how long was that six weeks um it was well it's six at the time it was six six and like three quarters i get like six plus a few extra weeks okay. they call it zero week they don't count it <laughs> um now it's up to eight i think and oh, wow. change hmm. uh, the air force has the shortest basic training um it's not uh most of the jobs in the air force are technical mm, yeah um, so they focus a lot on attention to detail um yeah, obviously following directions you want the person fixing a fighter jet to like follow directions yeah like, <laughs> like <laughs> so um but oddly uh, uh when i met with the the guy at MEPS, uh, so the military answers processing, not my recruiter. Uh, they tell you what job, like they give you a list of jobs you're qualified for. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I did not do well on the mechanical side. In fact, my mechanical scores were very low. And my administrative scores were like 98, 99. Oh, wow. So they're very high. So, But they averaged out to a decent ASVAB mm -hmm. score. And the guy looked at my uh, mechanical scores, and he said, "Well, you you can't do anything with a with a wrench or a tool." Mm -hmm. uh, and then he said, um, "It kind of kind of surprised me you were even able to open the door. Your mechanical <laughs> scores were so low." Um, I was like, yeah, like I said, they're all dicks, right? Like yeah. it, it was not a it was not like a really welcoming environment, um, which it should have been a clue. Um, but so it left being a cop, a cook, or um, supply. Um, and the, I was like, well, tell me about you know each of these. Um, part of being a cook is uh, also dealing with dead bodies, which is an odd combination. Oh, really? So they have mortuary affairs as part of their training. I was like, well, I don't fucking want, like, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to scrub yeah. pans and uh, deal with dead people. But yeah. um, the cop thing, he's like, yeah, you get to blow shit up and shoot guns. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that's how it happened, man. I went to basic training, and um, once I got done, you know, it's just like, after you do something for a long time, you just really can't do anything else. Mm. Um, and the military's unique. But that's how I got in. Your father fucking wanted me off his couch before. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much longer. But in fact, that I, I was still recovering from that toe surgery that I had um, when I went to basic training. Like there was my sock was blood filled every night I had to oh. peel it away that holy was, shit that was how fast the turnaround was and how fast your father wanted me out of <laughs> like, so 
So. Damn. So, uh, so where did you first get deployed? Was it Iraq or? Uh, so there was minor like stateside deployments, you know, where we supported different things. Uh, my first real deployment was uh, in the Middle East, was uh, in Kuwait. Um, my next was an undisclosed location. And then um, I spent some time in Afghanistan and uh, a brief time in Iraq throughout, throughout the period of my service. Um, I also spent some time in Trinidad, Tobago, um, training the uh, call it the TT Army, training them on mm. uh, riot control, um, and a couple other places that are on on a list of yeah off list items. Yeah. So, um, not including the off list, uh, what was your experience like um, when you were you know working in the military, working in those places? Uh, well, it, so weather is extreme. Yeah. Um, so, like in Kuwait, the, the temperature was, uh, it, it was like wicked hot, like 125 at like 3 in the morning. Um, and it kind of switched to, there's like a season kind of where it goes, um, sandstorm, <laughs> what they call it, sand, blowing sand from the desert. And then I was there during the transition when it went from blowing from that direction, then blowing from the Gulf, uh, in, but it remained hot. Um, so when it blew in from the Gulf, it was hundred percent humidity, but still like a hundred plus degrees out. Uh, so it was a really, it never fucking, it rained one time. <laughs> And it rained mud. Uh, I, the wow. dam- it was the damnest thing I ever seen. <laughs> and Kuwaiti, um, you know, young Kuwaiti adults would be out doing donuts in the in the mud that had fallen in the middle of the night because you know it's like snow for them, right? So mm-hmm. uh, environmental, like the oil wells burning, the trash the filth the uh, uh the smell there's Kuwait has a distinctive smell each each of those countries have a distinctive like pollution smell uh the sand uh is unbelievable it gets everywhere um we used to take uh, a dixie cup of water and like open our eyes constantly until all the sand would come out of our eyes from our shift and you could fill up a Dixie cup with that much sand. Um, you know, we drink 13, 14 liters of water a day just to stay hydrated. And then when you got back from your shift, you would be pissing like dust. You know, you still weren't hydrated. Um, so the environment, the environment was harsh. Um, the job was stressful. Mm-hmm. So it made for it made for a long time. Um, you know, you, you slept. You know, our days are sixteen, seventeen hours, and there were no like days off. Um, 
In fact, the day off is almost like punishment because the only thing worse than not working was fucking just sitting in a hot ass tent. <laughs> so, um, so it was just miserable the whole time. Yeah, the, I mean, the the very first night I was deployed, uh, it was a funny story. We all got to this tent and we had no idea where we were. They just dropped us off, and we were on cots and. Um, one of my teammates, uh, I was like, hey, I wonder where the flight line's at. <laughs> and uh, about 10 minutes later, after we'd all kind of fallen asleep, um, we heard the giant voice, which is a giant loudspeaker, and they scrambled the fighters, the alert fighters. And then like two minutes later we heard the roar of these f-16s coming down the runway and our tent blowing over to one side <laughs> and uh my cohort my one of my teammates he said uh i don't know where the runway is but i'm guessing that's really fucking close <laughs> so um you know we do most of our flying at night so uh that first night it was just non-stop uh, aircraft taking off so <laughs> eventually I worked nights so it wasn't as bad but um, you know <laughs> so I slept during the day yeah uh, which is better you know but I had enough rank that I I I made it to the night shift because it was cooler I guess less sun yeah uh, so yeah, so private mili military contractors are um, everywhere I've been. They've been. Mm -hmm. um, in, in fact, the the U.S. government as a whole uh, sometimes it's called the shadow government. So whether it's overseas or not, uh, is overly reliant on government contractors. So the size of the government. Let's say there's. I think there's three million government federal employees, but there's um, two times that amount in uh, contractors. Mm. So wow. So it's harder to hire a federal employee sometimes. Um, it's a longer process, justification, um, but it's some and there's benefits that go with it. You know that are permanent. You mm. know like someone works for the government for so long they get a retirement uh, but it's a lot easier to, to get contractors to do things mm -hmm. uh, as a general rule contractors don't do inherently government activities um, there's some I'm, I'm not going to say gray area but there's some some flexibility, I guess, probably mm -hmm. in the Department of the State and the Department of Defense. But for the most part, you know, contractors did security work, convoy protection, refueling jets, um, finance. Some did medical. Um, some of our NATO partners or... Um, or Middle Eastern partners that they've they use contractors to maintain and fly their fighter jets. 
Mm-hmm. So contractors are really a valuable, <clears throat> a valuable resource. Anyhow, uh, so let's say you have um, an eight-year special forces guy that gets out of the military. Mm-hmm. And when he does, you know, the government loses that eight years of training. Well, we can hire a contractor um, who hires the same guy and we can retain that experience, right? Mm-hmm. So so stateside, you know, he might have left the military because he didn't want to deploy, but we can hire him stateside and he can talk about um, I, uh, improvised explosive devices and tactics and techniques that are going on in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. But he's he's there, right? Like he he went from the combat zone to being a contractor in D.C. and he's he's providing you um, valuable real time information. And then, since it's a contractor, the flexibility so they can get rid of that guy and get the next guy, so they can constantly refresh that that brain pool of talent. So you you get um, you know you're refreshing what's going on in the Middle East. So it changes year after year, you know. So there's a downside or there's a negative light to private military contractors. Um, some of it's based on news reporting. Some of it's based on movies. Um, you know, it, if you're doing convoy security in Iraq, you know, they they, they get weapons, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, they're allowed to defend themselves just like an armored car driver here would be allowed to defend themselves in Des Moines if somebody starts shooting at them. Yeah. Um, it's just a more violent area. Um, do military members and private military contractors break the rules and kill people or break the law? Yeah. So they're just like the rest of America. Mm-hmm. So, um, it just makes more news. I see. Um, well, I mean, they're necessary. Their flexibility they give the government is is incredible. He, even in like an administrative contract, which is a, a lot of military contracts are people processing um, paperwork, you know, paying soldiers and airmen. Um, if if we didn't have them, you know, like when a war happens, all that paperwork, there's a surge of it, right? So, mm-hmm. but the war ends, we can get rid of a contractor. There's no long-term commitment. I see. So that's the advantage is that these are temporary relationships mm-hmm. um, and you can surge. Um, stateside, background investigators was, uh, I don't know if it still is or not, but used to be they had a backlog of a million or two million security clearance investigations. <clears throat> so they hired um, thousands of contractors to go do their work. So hmm. uh, without them, you know, if we waited on hiring a government employee, uh, especially with uh, sequestration and those idiots in D.C. arguing about dollars and cents yeah you know, like, yeah um you'd never get anything accomplished so mm. um there's different pools of money that the contracting can come from more flexibility uh, 
but I, I I get almost almost every every gun toting um, private military contractor that I met uh, was a member of the military. Mm, I see. So they're not untrained. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, some of them are well trained, very very well trained. Yeah, yeah. Um, but did you you said your friend had questions? He, uh, oh, he was just curious about. Um, I mean, he he kind of. I mean, you kind of glossed on it. He kind of talked about, like, uh, you know, he believed that there were maybe people in private military contractors who, you know, performed assassinations and stuff like that. So that was kind of the reason. Um, well, undoubtedly, there's criminals. Yeah. Um, and now I'm not speaking about, like, uh, the Central Intelligence Agency. Yeah, yeah. They have their own contractors. I have no idea what they do or mm-hmm. what they're able to do. Um, but... Um, Military contracts, they're all online, uh, unless they're classified. You know, that, yeah, like they're, yeah. So they're public information, unless they're classified. Yeah, you, I mean, you can, you can read them. Like, yeah. you can see what they, they include their use of force, even stateside. So Department of Homeland Security has thousands of contractors. Um, and you can read the use of force, um, it's part of the contract, you know, it says what they can and can't do. So, um, sort of the rules of engagement of the people that are carrying guns. Um, so it's not as secret, you know, it's just going out and looking for the information. I see. Um, you can type in, you know, uh, I don't remember the contracting website, but they, they advertise federal contracts, um, so they solicit bids and you know it's pretty much the same contractors or subsidiaries to get the contracts anyhow which is really the bigger issue right like mm-hmm. um what influence the defense does the defense industry mean we go to war more often like mm-hmm. is there that, that sort of connection like um you know there was no homeland security industry before we created homeland security but now we've got degrees in homeland security yeah. who got technology fairs for homeland security you know does the does the private sector drive the need for homeland security or does homeland security drive the need for the private sector so yeah you know, what, what's that relationship there yeah could definitely be a slippery slope i could see yeah you know it's the way our uh it's the way our country works so there's yeah. a theory uh of government um government as a catalyst right president obama was famous for saying you didn't build that Uh, and he was referring to the roads like Mm. infrastructure Mm. um like here you mean in the u.s in the u.s that you know like you didn't build that and it was i don't agree with this choice of words but (laughs) um somebody built it but the point was that the government um is heavily involved you can't build a fucking road without the government right like there's um you gotta get permits you gotta have engineers you gotta have certain depth of the road uh there's gotta be a need for it tax dollars pay for it generally um so in a sense the government is a catalyst for you need a road to get to the subdivision to get to your house to get to your job so the government really 
is a catalyst to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, you can't build a house without a permit. Yeah. You know, you um, uh, you go to school, there's regulations for that uh, the school has to do, mm -hmm. yep. right? You know, there's requirements. Like in high school, there's requirements for graduation. There are minimum hours. So you had to make up fucking school in the middle of the summer because <laughs> it snows <laughs> every day in Iowa. But the government is a catalyst in America. So the government has an influence. The government can um, suspend or waive zoning requirements to to put you know whatever that thing is down the road the church yeah. or mm -hmm. in a residential neighborhood or um so you know it's the same sort of idea i guess but hmm. um going back to your time in uh iraq and afghanistan what what do you i mean obviously you you know you took orders but like what do you believe was like your main objective being you know uh, to stay alive. <laughs> I guess I mean, like, what do you believe, like, like, I don't know, like, uh, like what was your goal? Like, what was your collective? Do I believe in the purpose of the war? Sure. Uh, so, the, I mean, it's the global war on terrorism. Yeah. So, I would say most of the operations that um that were undertaking were to support that um you know america does a lot of things so national security is a big picture it's economics mm -hmm. um it's really more economics driven than anything right because yeah oh yeah if uh, we don't have our um our finances in order that you know people aren't employed and then we have um well we have america right now i guess uh, so <laughs> but national security so we use national security or the military our economic power and our uh, military power to kind of shape like these things we do um there's no economic value to uh there's nothing to be gained financially uh in in blowing up Afghanistan, right? So mm. it's, that's not about oil because they don't have any fucking oil. They've got opium. So they have no resource. It's a rocky, shitty, fucking miserable country. Uh, they live in mud huts and there's nothing of value to get there. So, you know, people make an argument about the Middle East, about the oil. Um, and, you know, you can make that argument pretty well in the first Gulf War because Iraq invaded mm -hmm. Kuwait because of oil, mm -hmm. because they accused Kuwait of slant drilling into their oil reserves. Um, so that, that war was about oil, but it was also about protecting our allies, who we get oil from, yeah, and protecting the sovereignty of a nation, stability of a region. Because um, that, that affects both our national security and our financial security. We need oil for everything. Probably everything in this room, uh, petroleum products touched when they were made. So it came on a boat, a ship. It was used to build, you know, in a factory was oiled and lubed mm -hmm. the machines. So, so there's a need for that, right? So we need a stable 
source uh, environmental rules uh, in America <laughs> have limited our exploration and where we can get our home homegrown crude um, and there's there's an argument to be made that we should save that for the end you know use everyone else's up mm. first um, but there's there is a clear nexus to terrorism in Afghanistan um, probably less so in Iraq you know um, I think you know the dictator was not stable um, <laughs> he more than likely was destabilizing the um, the region um, so it's hard I mean once we were there the, it's daily terrorism right so then yeah. you know Obviously, we, part of that is we created the problem by invading them. But, um, you know, I don't know the intelligence. Um, you know, the, they don't give you the what the president yeah. sees. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm sure they don't give you a rundown when they... <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, they made a case, I guess, for the weapons of mass destruction. Um, and... Saddam Hussein did use chemical weapons on the Kurds. That's a factual thing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a history of it. Does it? I mean, does it matter to me once I'm there? No, it's just staying alive. Yeah. Like, do I agree with my usage as a military member, or the wars to fight in, or? It does, probably not, but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like, you don't fight for the reason that a president gives you. Yeah. It's, no, you're taking orders. Yeah. Well, you fight for f the flag and freedom yeah. and you. Um, like, it's what matters to you, right? Like, you're not doing it for, um, you're doing it for a higher uh, idea. So you're. You're fighting for the idea of America. Um, you're, you're fighting for the flag. The flag means a lot. You're fighting for the people that die before you. Um, and it's really, you don't really get bogged down in, um, while you're in, bogged down in um, the politics of it. Yeah. Um, like I said, because you're just trying to fucking not get killed. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But, you know, when you get out, you know, you have opinions, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. I didn't, in hindsight, you know, I'm like, why the fuck did we do that? That was dumb. But that's probably like any war, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, let me ask you this, and uh, you don't have to get, like, too personal, but um, how would you describe warfare to someone who has not experienced it? Uh... I don't know. So there are stressful jobs in America. Mm -hmm. And I had a stressful job stateside. Uh, it's hard to explain the physical reaction to your body, um, to stress. 
there's a lot of emotion. Uh, there's a lot of brotherhood. Um, never, you obviously know I've never been a real religious person. Mm. Um, but you pray before you leave the wire. Um, you pray with strangers, you know, something that, you know, you, you may have never done in your life before. Um, I don't know why, like it, but it fucking sure felt like a good idea. Uh, it felt natural. Um, you know, I, I always tell everyone there's at least 30 days where I didn't sleep. I'm sure I slept bits and pieces, but, mm -hmm. um, it's, it, I don't know if people deal with stress different ways part of basic training, part of your military training is to help you deal with that stress. So I don't know what it would be like to take someone out of um, like principal financial group and just throw them in a combat zone. Like they might deal with the stress a lot different. You know, they, they did acclimate us to stress in basic training mm -hmm. and our uh, advanced training and, you know, they fucked with you all the time. Like, you know, they, they make everything as miserable as they can so when you get somewhere miserable, it's not as miserable. Like, it's an acclimation. Yeah. So. Uh, Sorry, let me ask you this. Do you think that actually worked? Like, do you, do you think that, like, because, like, that would be the thing for me that I would have a hard time dealing with is, like, <clears throat> you know, getting yelled at by the general and stuff. Like, do you feel that actually was a skill that helped? Yeah. So you become desensitized. You learn how to react and, and work under stress. So, um, so just even... Like if you're, let's say you're drowning in a pool yeah. and someone says, open this bottle of water and you're like, well, you're like, you're drowning. <laughs> like what the fuck do I need the water for? But yeah. the military trains you how to drown in the pool and do tasks. So if I were to describe the uh, combat zone, it would be like drowning in a pool, but taking apart a rifle or talking on the radio while you're doing it. Like... It's an extreme environment, extreme stress, but you have to do other things. Um, and there's dumps, man. Like you, your adrenaline pumps up and then it hits. Like when you, when you get back to a quasi safe pace, place, you know, like if there's enough sandbags or something around, like you, you crash pretty hard. Um, we drove in a minefield um that was stressful you know like you got to make pretty quick decisions yeah um you know driving in strange lands it, with no lights and only night vision is challenging it's more challenging than a sandstorm you know like you hit shit um you get hurt um things blow up you know like there's a lot of things to scare you, but you have to react. So, mm. um, so I guess maybe drowning and doing fine motor skills while drowning <laughs> is probably the best way. That's an interesting analogy. I can't see if I've ever heard that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fun part is that you know, you find out you're not drowning. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you you get you know you get a a gasp of air. But you're back to drowning again, you know. 
Um, and there's a lot of humor in the combat zone too. There's a lot of sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, people miss their families. Uh, people have to make decisions about their careers. People that you thought were fucking Johnny Hero back home that were like high speed are complete pussies in combat zones and you know they're not the leader that you thought they were and, and there's other people who are just too terrified to to really function yeah um and you know you navigate that so but there's times where it's you know i laugh pretty hard yeah <laughs> so uh there were other times where you know, you wanted to show more emotion, but you're unable to. So, um, I mean, we had porn in Kuwait, so that was cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that helps sat- satellite porn beamed in 24 <laughs> hours a day. They just have it playing on TV in the corner. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's like on three channels, just from your. Euro- it was European, like. Czechoslovakian porn yeah. or some shit, but uh, you didn't understand what they were saying, but I get the idea. Yeah, you don't really need to. You know? They called it the morale channel. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, I know, I know, you were kind of talking about like uh, already, like you know, your thoughts and like the overall war. I guess I'm, but I want to ask more from like a military standpoint. Uh, last year, we recently pulled out of Afghanistan um, to a lot of criticism. Um, I guess I'm wondering, like, from a military perspective, like, what was, how, like, how did we handle that in your view? Uh, that was the most predictable failure ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we didn't handle it well. So I know logistically, right? So the, the idiots on TV, um, from the Department of Defense or the White House that say, you know, you know, they they found their bright spot, right? Like no mm-hmm. no other logistical like, you know, since um World War Two is any country no other country would have been able to evacuate that many people. Mm-hmm. And the irony of that I thought of was there was a hurricane that was coming like the next week, right? <laughs> really? And um I thought to myself, like, we have still never figured out how to evacuate fucking people from southeast Louisiana during a hurricane, but somehow we can figure out how to fucking yeah. <laughs> do this logistical greatness in That's a good Afghanistan, point. right? So, what, our plan in Louisiana is, you know, 50 buses. <laughs> you know, like, well, okay, well. So, um, yeah, so it was embarrassing. Uh, it was disheartening. Um, it's been a failure that had been building the Afghans. A- Afghanistan is not was not stable. It was still factional. Um, so it's a predictable fall. Uh, it was a minute, It was a disturbing end to. Uh, you know, a lot of people have made sacrifice. Yeah. Um, I was uh, fortunate to have, I was in class where they had a former uh, 
ambassador to Afghanistan under the Obama administration uh, told us his views. Hmm. And and I think he was right. He said it projects weakness, um, our ineptitude. Um, we basically handed the country over to um, this grossly inhumane group of people that, you know, or if we're all about human rights, why would we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Like, let's give it to these terrorists. That's yeah. what it's, um, You know, Afghanistan would have, was on a slow road to um, getting better, right? Like, mm-hmm. It's a generational thing. So these kids that, are, that have been getting school or whatever for 10 years um, before we pussied out and pulled out of the country for no reason the ones that didn't get murdered or evacuated yeah um yeah they have no hope now but you know had had that generation grown up the next generation had education you know it's a process you can't turn the fucking dirt eating rock farmers into you know they lived under this oppressive (laughs) culture where there's no education and nothing to you know building that um and when old people die, just like here, right? Like when the baby boomers finally fucking all die, you know, the country, we're going to say, well, shit's out of money, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot less people. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, well there would probably be more people, but there would be less fucking old people. Yeah, yeah, less old people, yeah. Um, I mean, who have spent money ridiculously. But there's just a huge group of people that are all going to suck on the healthcare system. <laughs> All at one time, right? But, you know, um, I guess that's what happens when you survive a war. You just Mm -hmm. create more people. (laughs) But. Hmm. Um, I think that's my last last question about um, war. Uh, When did you leave and uh, when did you transition into police work? So, uh you know, I, it's a natural transition from uh, policing in the military mm-hmm. to civilian policing, um, mostly because you don't have any real fucking skills, right? Like, I couldn't do anything with the tool, so, you know, I wasn't like the guy that worked on aircraft. He could go work for United and make good money. Um, I didn't have the social skills to work at principal because I say fuck a lot. Um, and it's a much more abrasive culture. Yeah. Um, so the Air Force law enforcement is law enforcement and like a ground combat role, like the infantry type stuff um, where you're defending air bases. And, mm-hmm. um, so it's a, it's, It's, it's it's a difficult skill to translate into anything really you know and there's like a huge segment of the population and I, it happened to me all the time where people would ask me like you know when like when you're going to get a real job like oh well, oh you're in the military oh well, what are you going to do later well, you know what, what kind of what are you going to do for life like what, like this is a fucking like real job right like <laughs> there's not many more jobs that are more real like, the yeah. guy that sells cars doesn't get fucking shot at, you know. 
Um, so um, a lot of people don't consider the military a career. They don't consider the military a real job, um, which is which is fine. It's a, it's a lack of understanding too. Um, but so yeah, you know, I was trained in law enforcement. I knew how to handcuff people. I knew how yeah. to investigate things and um, just to a certain extent. So I knew the military version, um, which is much different. Um, so what year did you transition? Uh, so I became a state trooper in. So that was your first start, state trooper? Yeah. Okay. And I don't know when that was, 2004 or five, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that was my foray into it. Um, you know, I chose the state patrol. Um, even though they'll tell you they chose me, right? <laughs> But there was a shit ton of applicants, but I chose them because, um, I mean, I applied for a lot of different places. Um, Paul Fitzgerald, the sheriff in um, Story County, offered me a job. Um, and I turned it down because I was in the application process for the state patrol. But I chose them because nobody else wanted to do it, kind of. Mm. Um, like, every... The pool of applicants is pretty small. You see the same people at every testing. Um, and a lot of people were scared of, uh, even my friends that were civilian police officers, like, well, I don't want to go through their academy. Their academy is too difficult. Or, you know, they were kind of scared of that that academy. And I'm not a pussy, so. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, you know, it's probably worthwhile if there's all these people that, that don't want to do it. And I think we, in Iowa, and maybe countrywide, I think we, as Americans, hold the state police agencies uh, with a little more regard. Mm. Um, not that I needed, like, an ego boost in my <laughs> life. Um, you know, for me, you know, I was a, a senior NCO in the military. So transitioning to do, like, to be a worker... Um, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. So I was used to telling people what to do. And um, so going to a position that where I was out working again was uh, doing the job was it's kind of scary and, you know, exhilarating because managing people is a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> and, you know, just to be able to focus on yourself again is nice. Um, so... Uh, the State Patrol was a, it, the Iowa Department of Public Safety is a wonderful organization. Um, I have, still have many friends there and a uh, few people I think are dicks, but, you know, you know that's like any job, yep. right? But I think yep. they're wonderful people. They do wonderful things for Iowans. Uh, I've never worked with a, a group of people that were more dedicated to their jobs than um the people that work there wow. so there's definitely the department of homeland security uh nobody gives a fuck about america like there is not even near close to the level of commitment as the even the worst trooper had more commitment than um most of my co-workers uh, it's just something hard to explain that uh, 
you know, they they really are special people. They risk their lives all the time, especially in the winter. And you know, I don't know if I don't know if we do enough for that agency. Um, you know, definitely the federal government takes better care of their law enforcement, like equipment wise and um but you know we've had a shortage of troopers in Iowa for 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 decades and you know it's not fair to them Mm. so and they have families too right so um it'd be nice if they could see them every now and then yeah yeah so so, uh did you go to any other police branches after state patrol or so yeah then I went to the federal government the um, Department of Homeland Security so I went to their academy and I eventually became a uh, a canine handler Mm. Um, that's what I got hired for but it took about a year and a half to finish all my like initial training Uh, I was an explosive detection canine so I looked for bombs oh okay um and after that, and that was in Atlanta. I went from Atlanta to New Orleans. And then I left New Orleans. I got promoted to a supervisory position in Florida, Orlando. So, um, yeah, so I worked for the federal government and the state government. And I worked at, like, a local police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you meet all those guys, right? As a trooper, you know, you, we worked here in Central Iowa. You work, you know, all these counties, surrounding counties. So you get to know a lot of the small town um, police officers in Des Moines. You get to know quite a few of the police officers from not only conferences, but like, you know, you, you're constantly responding to similar things, you know. Hmm. Um and it's a very supportive community. Um, so if if you're in the city of Des Moines and you know, another police officer sees you on the side of the road, they'll stop and check on you. Um, and it's the same in most of the counties. But, um, yeah, I was based in Boone County. Um, and there's not a lot of deputies up there. It's smaller. Mm-hmm. So you get to know... You know, most of the deputies <clears throat> and the city police officers you get to know pretty well. Everyone knows where you live too because you got the, you know the car in your driveway. <laughs> so, yeah, I can imagine that's a low level that um, people used to drop. Uh, they find drugs or weapons or whatever, and they put it in my mailbox. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Why is the crack in my mailbox? Like, like what? That's hilarious. Like with a note, I found this. I'm like, okay. Well, I don't smoke crack, so <laughs> thanks for causing my paperwork on my day off, you know. But, you know, it's weird because then, you know, I'm, cause I'm just a citizen then, right? Like, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm not the city of Boone Police Department. So, you know, I'd have to call the police department and be like, hey, you know, somebody put fucking crack in my mailbox. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm like everyone else. Like, if... You know, might find a pound of cocaine in my mailbox. I'm, I should call. Yeah. You know, unless I'm a criminal. Yeah. You know, I should probably <laughs> call somebody and let them know. Otherwise, I don't. I'm going to take ownership of that 
and then I become a criminal. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so, uh, yeah. So it was, it was a weird, you know, something different. You know, the military, you went to work, you know, you got your gun and everything at work and, mm-hmm. you know, you're off duty, you're off duty. But when you're, uh, when you're a state trooper, you're on duty, like 24, like 24 seven. Um, oh, wow. You know, and I had a marked unit when I worked for the federal government. Nobody fucking knocked on your door with some national security issue, you know, like, <laughs> like, hey, you know, I think I saw a terrorist, you know, like, yeah. nobody like, oh, okay, well, their Homeland Security lives over there, you know, but nobody ever bothered me hmm. with, you know, no one dropped any bombs off the house or, you <laughs> Oh, know, that's good. Yeah. You know, like, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, having a bomb dog during the 4th of July was difficult because I couldn't take the dog for a walk for a while. Oh. So, yeah, fireworks everywhere, but... Oh, that's a good point. Huh? Yeah, I was fucking paying it. it was a, <laughs> there's a lot of lessons to be learned. <laughs> so, uh, probably my favorite thing in my career is, has been working with a dog. So, you, there's never a bad day when you work with your dog. No matter what your boss says to you, it doesn't matter. You just, that fucking dog is happy to see you. And, you know, you throw the tennis ball, you know, the dog finds something, you know, you just, it just makes your day, right? Like, yeah. Um, so there's, being a canine handler, by the way, is a tremendous amount of work. There's yeah, just a shit ton imagine. of fucking paperwork. It's a nonstop endeavor. Um, from, you know, we used to do, uh, searches for the Falcons football games, mm-hmm. but like, let me. So none of these searches happen like during the game, right? So yeah, yeah. hours <laughs> before the game. So there's nothing really cool about it, you know. Like, I know what the locker room looks like with all the uniforms and mm-hmm. the gear and like the mm-hmm. ice and like. Um, uh, we, you know, we worked the final four in Atlanta for like two weeks um searching fucking every hot dog bun that came in there um you know so and then there's certain events like uh road races and um you know that are planned events and then but you know a lot of those events are on the weekends which were my days off (laughs) um and then there were other, you know, emergencies like bomb threats and stuff that happen. You know, they can happen 24 hours a day. So, mm-hmm. um, or you might get called to find uh, or assist another agency to find, you know, like a gun or something. Um, so, yeah, so it was kind of a, uh, and I covered six, six states. So I traveled a lot. So oh, was, wow. I was out of town 20 plus days out of a month. Jeez. Damn. Um, <clears throat> what would you say is the biggest misconception about being a police officer from the German public or anyone? Yeah, I think that they were not human. Mm. Um, and I think it's a problem in America in general, right? Like I, I had this class where, um, Cases. So you're familiar with case studies, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. give you a case and you're supposed to read it and like come up with this clue. You know, would do, what would you do? Type of thing. Mm, yeah. 
Well, there's always this assumption that um, that people don't experience life, right? Like, mm. um, so we had a case study about a person that was transitioning from a man to a woman, and you know, you were the office manager, and you know, what would you do? And you know, they had all these different things, and uh, they they projected that people in the field of this organization would um, not handle the transition well. And, mm. and they kept, it was, it was a classist statement, right? Like mm. like these people are in the office, so they would probably be okay with it. But these assholes out in the field, these underlings, they would treat them differently. Mm. I see. And, you know, I don't know that anyone in America is in touch with, um, that. It doesn't have a gay relative or a yeah, transgender, you know. you know, like pick a fucking any problem in America, drugs, yeah, especially in this day and age, crime, yeah. like anything, right? Like every family in America um, deals with problems, and and I'm not saying that's a problem. Like people have a right to do whatever they want with their lives, right? But I'm, what I'm saying is, they're not unfamiliar with life, so people think police officers. Um, are hypocrites uh, sometimes. Mm. Um, people think police officers are uh, too good, you know, like goody two shoes type people. Um, you know, they have no sense of humor. Mm. Um, but we're just like everyone else. Like, you know, we see dead bodies more than other people. And um, we see people at their worst. Yeah. Um, and that affects us, right? Like, it's an emotional toll. Like, you can only see so many dead people before you're like, you know, I, my wife, <laughs> my former wife used to find me drinking wine and listening to opera. She'd be like, a good day at work, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, even though it's not, you know, that person that died wasn't our relative, uh, it impacts the police officers, the record service the hospital staff, you know, like if you're drinking and driving and you kill yourself, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, good for them. You know, like they kill themselves, but they impacted the lives of yeah. their family and then all these other fucking innocent people, right? Like um, the ER staff, like, you know, I know we don't think of that stuff, but, you know, Uber is fucking cheap now. Like there's no reason now to drink and drive. Like, yeah. Um, or drink and walk. <laughs> That's also fucking dangerous. But, but you know, I'm not a perfect human being. I was a criminal when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, talked to anyone that I went to high school with. Here and in St. Louis, they will tell you that, you know, I was not a good person. <laughs> you know, I broke every law. Um, I drank. I, um, I sold cigarettes out of my locker. I've never smoked, but, you know, like, it was a business for me. <laughs> um, I used to sell Jack Daniels, bottle, bottles of Jack Daniels and, and uh, out of my locker. Um, stole stuff. You know, we're human beings, right? Like, I yeah. was, and, you know, most, most people, I guess, don't look at police officers that way. Um, we have a lot of understanding and if you get stopped 
by a trooper in Iowa, I know there's a there's a perception that you're going to get a ticket, and you might, but I would say it's a 50-50 shot. Mm-hmm. Um, we write a lot of warning, or we I, even I wrote a lot of tickets, but I'm telling you, I wrote a lot of warnings too. Yeah. Um, so people break the law. A lot of good people break the law all the time, and nobody's perfect. So, mm-hmm. um, sort of the motto that they drilled into our head is to treat people like you would treat your mother or want your mother to be treated. Um, they didn't know my mother, so <laughs> so it was like I get what they were saying, but you know, like my mother was a little harsher. So, um, yeah. But you know, we have emotions, so we're not devoid emotions or understanding. Um, you know, there's, man, man, police officers are not perfect. They're fucking criminal police officers. Yeah, yeah. There's dipshit police officers. There's poorly trained police officers. I mean, there's thousands of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the criteria is pretty low to become a cop, you know. Yeah, you know, that's actually interesting. Um, I was listening to a podcast about this. Um, <clears throat> the highest percentage of people who report like bad cops or other cops well yeah yeah i mean that which makes sense right Mm -hmm. like um but like like it's not like people calling it in like you would think it's like other police officers saying like hey this yeah this guy fucking worth yeah (laughs) yeah no i mean they're easy like you know the guy you work with who's um questionably ethically or um and it's not that they're not telling their bosses, right? Like, mm. so I've been in meetings where, like, everyone's like, this motherfucker is worthless. You need to fire his ass. And it's not that cops aren't identifying the bad apples. Yeah. It's the system. Like, any police department where there's a problem, it's, uh, the, where there's a shooting or, like, you know, in Minnesota, they, um, that asshole that murdered that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, a year earlier, they some other police officer shot the fucking victim. You know, like there's a problem with that police department, and nobody, like the the chief of police, and then everyone that trained that person all the way down should have been fired or held accountable. Um, instead, you know, we are we find fault with these four or five police officers, right? Like they were on the scene and they own, like they have ownership to that, right? They were there. They had choices to make. Yeah. Uh, but some asshole trained them and, you know, they're, they shot a, a victim a year ago. You're like, there's a, there's a problem there, you know? Like, yeah. So, um, but you never see the mayor, or the chief of police resign. You don't see the training captain resign or the, patrol sergeant resigned yeah. instead they all go testify against this guy so well no we told him not to do that well we all know that's bullshit right like yeah. like you don't have victims getting shot and people getting killed uh, egregiously without a poor training environment or a problem in your police department so uh sometimes that's recruiting you know sometimes you just can't get anyone yeah uh sometimes they loosen standards to to achieve that um yeah, I don't know that I've, I don't recall anyone at the state patrol that had any, like there was no one that I ever said that had like an ethical problem. 
Um, in fact, they trained us that if you did something wrong, the first person that should tell your boss is you. So, you know, you might get fired. If you murder someone, you just call your supervisor and tell them you did it. And then, you know, you might you might go to prison the rest of your life, but at least you were go to prison as an honest person, you know. So now that didn't mean we didn't have lazy people. So we had people that didn't want to work. Yeah, yeah. Which is different. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's different than malicious intent. Yeah. Or intent. So, yeah. but I've never saw anyone take any money or abuse anyone. Or um, now I've seen local police officers um, all throughout this country violate people's rights. But you know, some of them just didn't know that it was a right being violated because they were trained that way. Like it's just like in New Orleans, they violate people's rights all the time, and I just don't think they know that that's like. Like what they're doing is wrong. If that makes sense. Like mm. their their police department is is a continuation of like <laughs> bad training on bad training and probably some bad hires along the way. Yeah. So let me ask you this: uh, In your opinion, what do you think is the solution to that problem? If there's a solution. Well, so so there's no solution to crime, right? Crime has been yeah. around since written history. Yeah. And um, and there's no solution to breaking rules. That's also been around since written history. We didn't have rules. Like the, some of the first written documents we found in the world are fucking rules. Hmm. Like, you assholes need to <laughs> like, quit fucking doing that, right? <laughs> like, you know, um, even like, relations with other countries and other civilizations you know that's how we quit fighting each other is like we have rules and always some asshole breaks it and we have you know the more we develop in the world the more civilized we get you know the more rules we get um you, you'll never stop people um from breaking rules or laws you know no not everyone has the same uh, moral fiber you know morals and then their ethics you know no one has the same um upbringing yeah uh and there's a lot of people in america right 333 million one of the most diverse places on earth Mm -hmm. so we got a lot of cultural differences we got a lot of human fucking beings yep some places they're packed in like sardines um you know, they might have learned different sets of like we might have similar morals because we come from the same family tree, right? Yeah, yeah. But your neighbor might have completely different ones. But imagine if your neighbor lived in Italy for twenty years, and then another neighbor lived in Spain, and another neighbor came from Prague, and another neighbor came from Africa, and another neighbor came from like New Zealand. Like all those people would have a different view, yeah. view mm-hmm. of the world. So. Uh, I'm not sure you're ever going to fix it. You know, they made recommendations in the 60s um, to, one, diversify the police departments and to add training. There was some 200-some recommendations from this Joint Commission on Policing. Um, and if you look at it, New York City, demographically matches, their police department demographically matches the city according to the census. So... Like, there's less whites, 
mm-hmm. then there are there's more minority uh, police officers, police officers right. but it matches like the percentages of the city i see so in the 1960s that should have fixed the problem right that was their solution yeah and they get way more training now than they ever did in the 60s they have better you know higher requirements to be a police officer and that hasn't fixed the problem you know new york city has problems all the time right yep, like they're yeah. always in the fucking <laughs> so so that's that wasn't a solution mm-hmm. um you know it's president obama um wanted to do away with uh, like veterans hiring preferences for police departments trying to demilitarize the police mm, department i see i see um people of minnesota requires a two-year uh education to be a police mm. officer and you see how that fucking ended right <laughs> like they shot a victim a year before and then they killed yeah. george floyd so two years of education doesn't make you a better police officer right so there's a lot of things they've tried um i don't know that any of it will work the uh, citizen involvement um like citizens saying there's um citizens set the groundwork of like what's tolerated in the community um to you know to voice what what's appropriate what's not appropriate i think that's key um I also think in America that we do need to dismantle and rebuild some of our cities. So, um, you know, Chicago is unmanageable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, it's just too big. Yeah. If you look at how many employees, there's 10,000 police officers. Um, that's just one department. So you look at the size of it spread out. I just think that um, some some of our cities, the idea of cities you know like west des moines i think we can look at as probably better run than des moines um clive might be better run than you know like the suburbs i think are better run but they're better run because they're smaller right like you got less people less budgets you know less acreage so it's more manageable so i think it's easier to run a small business than it is a giant corporation yeah. So your span of control. So I, I just feel like some of these cities <clears throat> have gotten grossly uh, too big that they can't get down to the neighborhood level mm. um, because they're too big. Like your neighborhood doesn't matter because there's fucking 4,000 other ones or 10,000 other ones. So I think, but you can't break up a city, right? No one's ever going to voluntarily break up a city. <laughs> um, but we have to find a way to police in smaller areas or or manage um government in smaller areas more effectively yeah no i mean i'm a big believer in localization myself so um i think that yeah that's a it's a better solution for sure yeah i mean like uh you know i live in a small small town there's 5500 people um you know i can go talk to the chief of police or the fire chief any day i want i can go talk Mm -hmm. to the city manager stop by and say hi or like complain about the fucking traffic lights <laughs> you know do whatever i want right because yeah. it's 5500 people i see the police in my neighborhood all the time because we have 5500 people like they can literally be in every neighborhood more than once a day which is awesome 
right? Um, if you see a Des Moines police officer driving through your neighborhood, it's because they're on their way to a call. They're not just hanging out in your neighborhood, right? They're not just patrolling through your neighborhood. They're on their way to a call. And I know, you know, when I worked in the metro area, that Des Moines, they just went from call to call all night long. And I, I, and that hasn't gotten any better, I'm sure. Like, um, so they don't have time to do the routine um, things where you just hang out, you know, in the neighborhood. Like, in a small town, you can talk to these people. You get to know the community a little bit better. And chiefs of police in small towns, they fucking disappear after, like, five years. Like, there's a tolerance, you know. So, but you could be the chief of police of a large city for, you know, it seems like forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I, there's no solution. You know, I've always preached hiring standards. I, I have an opinion that you can pay a police officer too much. That you need to keep them a little fucking hungry, mm. uh, so they'll want to work. <laughs> um, and that was like my experience in the federal government. I mean, we paid people so much money that you know they like, became prima donnas. Like, well, I ain't fucking doing that. You know, like mm. yeah, I make a hundred thousand a year. I ain't fucking doing. That. I'm risking that. Well, like, look, bitch. You know, like you get your ass out, go to work. You know, like uh, so. I don't know. There's no real solution. You can't solve crime, which is what the problem is, right? Criminal police officers. Um, every business has criminals. Um, every neighborhood, every family. There's always you know, some. If anyone drove a car today, they broke the law. I'm positive. So yeah. there's. <laughs> so, so it's. Uh, The, the best thing we can do is more oversight from the people. Yeah. yeah. And I don't mean uh, rioting. <laughs> I mean involvement. Yeah. Um, you know, you're free to go to the state house anytime you want. I always fill out a slip of paper and talk to your representative. But I guarantee you that most people in this fucking state don't know who the representative is. Mm. Uh, and they probably voted for them. So, or the ones that voted. Even the ones that voted don't know who they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just vote for the, the letter. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you can you can do things, and and you can I mean you can meet the fucking governor. We're blessed in Iowa that you can get an appointment to meet the governor. But you know, if you bring four hundred people with you screaming and yelling, you're not going to get that meeting. Hmm. But if you make a meeting, be like, look here, you know, I've I had these ideas on police reform or. Um, you know, I think there's laws that we have in Iowa that are dumb. You know, why do we have two license plates? <laughs> now, I wrote a lot of tickets for no front plate, but in hindsight, like, what what the fuck does it matter? Like, you just need one, really, the one in the back. I've never pulled a car over from the front. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, That's a good point. And every car's got a VIN number, too. So even if they don't have a license plate, there's a VIN number on it. Um, and I heard some stupid arguments at the state house where a guy had solved some crime. One police officer solved one crime because they found a license plate in a snowdrift. I'm like, well, but we, I mean, how many millions of dollars does it cost to create <laughs> these fucking license plates to solve one crime? Like, 
we could have just given the million dollars to the victim and be like here like <laughs> yeah right here you go like save this money <laughs> so like i understand the window tint law but living in other states um i i, I didn't see you know you didn't think it made a big impact no, I like living in Florida. You need dark windows. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like hot as fuck, right? Like it's yeah, a necessity. True. And uh, here, you know, it's a crime. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, I yes, you can see a pedestrian better, but you know, I don't think it saves lives. Um, so I, I agree with like hands-free devices type of deals. I think cars, auto, auto, auto manufacturers should be solving that. Mm. Um, more than people like like if uh, like the Tesla I think you can use your yeah. cell phone as a key yeah well I think Tesla is starting the auto driving right but I mean I, I just think if there's a way to disable um, unless you use a hands free device yeah. to disable automatically disable you know some of these features well, I think Tesla is working towards that. So, I mean, besides the auto part, like I think their interface is designed to like not distract you. Yeah, and I think that's key. But that's only one. Uh, like, there's like you can still eat a Big Mac and drive down the road, right? Like, yeah, yeah, true. So true. there's no hands-free Big Mac device. So, you know, people need to be smarter. Like a car yeah, is. Yeah. Um, cars are dangerous. You know, like. Yeah, people don't think about it. Like it's a weapon, you know. Right. It's just like everything else we do. Yeah. We don't. We're not involved in our government, but they take twenty five percent of my fucking money every year. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like I should, you know, like any other bill that goes up in my house, I get pissed off about. Right. Like if the electric bill went up twenty five percent, I'd be like, "What the fuck? What's going on here?" Yeah. I'd be calling the electric company. But I freely give 25% of my money to the government, and I don't fucking pay attention. Like, I don't... I pay attention, but, I mean, I'm not involved. Like, you know, I'm not part of the parks board or anything. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think if people held the government accountable for um, minor things, you know, they, they, they just spent $10 million dollars... Um, for two bridges in Des Moines, right? Like, um, anytime the city of Des Moines says they're going to spend money, like they're going to have a meeting to talk about spending money. Mm -hmm. They've already decided to spend the money. <laughs> and then people in Des Moines complain about the property taxes all the time being too high. But how many of those, you know, 200,000 people go to the meetings or write mm -hmm. letters or... They vote the same assholes in over and over again. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, there's definitely some, uh, I can't think of the term, but like, yeah, people should be more involved in their government and they should be, you know, in, in the community and people should be more involved in, uh, um, you know, each other. Like they, they, they should be more educated. I think that's a big problem is like people just aren't educated. They don't like understand the you know, government and like, you know, they like these things you're talking about, about, about police, like they don't understand it. Well, and, yeah, I mean, in, in some respects, you know, like, that's the idea of society, right? We mm -hmm. we pool our resources to have these things, the military, public safety, 
so we don't have to worry about the fire brigade and mm-hmm. you know and the result is that once you do you then put it on autopilot right like our oh you know we'll just call the police we'll let them do it we'll call the fire department you know like we become absolved from it and we we just put it on a shelf um to where we, it's just taken taken for granted right like um, and I'm not saying government employees are intentionally wasteful. Like everyone that works somewhere, you know, they want more people, mm-hmm. or they want more. Or they want new equipment, or they want new tools. Like that person that's engaged in that job is is more involved in it. And if you work in government, you're like, well, yeah, we need new police cars, or we need new. Look, we have the nicest in the city of Des Moines, not we, because I don't fucking live here. <laughs> but the city of Des Moines has the nicest, um, like, public, like, the people that, the, I don't know what they call them, that work on the roads. and mm, Like public um, in- infrastructure? Yeah, like, the people that work on the roads, and then they work in the parks. They have the nicest fucking vehicles I've ever seen. Like, brand new fucking yeah, four-door yeah. F-250s and... <laughs> You know, they're immaculate, you know. Um, that just blows my mind. You know, yeah. like, the, all that causes millions and millions of dollars. Like, who gives a... I don't personally give a fuck what the guy either is wearing or driving that fixed my pothole, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, he can drive a 1979 pickup truck with 250,000 miles as long as it still runs, and he could wear fucking pajamas and uh, flip-flops and you could pay him whatever you want, yeah, you know, if yeah. he's willing to take that money to do it. Like, why are we giving uh, the the public works people top of the line equipment? You know, like they don't need it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, the Department of Transportation drives old shitty ass trucks until they fucking fall apart for the whole state. You know, like I'm not saying they're more frugal, but it just doesn't make sense. You know, the city going spends money pretty freely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, the West, I mean, I remember when I lived in West Des Moines, it seemed like every year they had a new car. Well, they have a huge tax base, too, right? Like, yeah. they, um, and they, they have an expectation for that. Like, that's part of their, that was part of their thing, you know, like, you move to the suburbs, you get nicer things, nicer police cars. And, you know, when I was a kid, some of my friends at the Twenty Police Department, uh, they could never say the things they say to the citizens of Des Moines that they, you know, West Des Moines police officer back when I was a kid would would never dream of saying some of these things. Um, you know, it's just a different atmosphere in the s- suburbs. And there's a different purpose, you know. And, and crime has changed in West Des Moines, too. Uh, mostly I moved, so <laughs> I improved it for some time, but... Um, but it's grown too, you know, like they've got other challenges, but, um, and Waukee, you know, is huge compared to what, when I was a kid. So, um, I don't know. We waste a lot of money in the government because it's the government deciding we need it. And then we go to other government people, insiders, Mm -hmm. like the council members in Des Moines have been there forever or from the same family, 
and we go to them and say, hey, we need that. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and the only person that's not involved is the voter. Yeah. Like, we have, um, we've had a demographic change in parts of the city, right? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. We have Hispanic and, uh, um, I don't know, look, look like up here, maybe some, uh, some from African nations. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the most popular sport in that in those countries? Soccer. Yeah. Football. So Des Moines building a brand new football stadium. Like what and they have shitty football teams and at the high schools and they can't figure out, you know, like North isn't gonna have a football team anymore. Well like Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. Like maybe <laughs> you should spend more money on soccer. You know, like maybe you should build a brand new soccer stadium. Like maybe you should, like these kids, aren't the kids twenty? Like football is not it. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you've got twenty five percent of your students are now Hispanic and, um, or whatever the whatever the proper Latinx or whatever it's called now. Um, but if you're if you're more into soccer, like you're never going to get a football team together. Right. Yeah. Or if you do, it's going to be shitty. So maybe they should change their times, you know, um, maybe the teachers could quit sleeping with the students. You know, (laughs) like there's all sorts of things, but you know, we talk about police officers. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm all for body cameras. I'm all for cameras in cop cars. I'm all for cameras in jails. I'm all for cameras in everything. Courtrooms, everywhere. Um, but I'm also for cameras in doctor's offices, um, law offices. And I think if we had those body cameras, and like those are high malpractice areas, right? Like, um, there's so much, our medical insurance is high because of malpractice lawsuits. Well, let's put fucking cameras on doctors and nurses and let's see what really happened. And then, you know, we can use that in those trials and maybe reduce our insurance premiums. But let's apply the same logic to every every high liability occupation. Mm. Bloggers. <laughs> <laughs> Webcam cried when you're writing your blog. <laughs> um, so... What percentage uh, in your throughout your police work, the reasons you arrested people, what would you say the percentages were? Ballpark. Or, like, um, what were the reasons? Probably the number one reason people get, like, so, first of all, to clarify, in Iowa, um, uh, traffic laws are criminal. So, it's, an, it's technically... Uh, a citation is an arrest. So you're releasing someone with a citation. Mm. Does that make sense? So instead yeah. of going to a jail. Okay, I see so what you're it's saying. It's a misdemeanor in Iowa to speed or to not wear your seatbelt or to not have your front plate or to have a dark window or to cover up the letters of uh, your license plate with your frame for your favorite football team. <laughs> um, but that's a crime in Iowa. It's a criminal offense. So it's a misdemeanor. So, most people, so that's the most common crime, right, is traffic laws. Okay. Um, but excluding all those misdemeanor traffic violations, um, drugs drugs and, and weapons are mm-hmm. the most common 
I would say the highest percentage of people that that I arrested for for drugs and weapons. So, like, when you say drugs and weapons, like, you mean, like, were there a lot of times where you would find both of those, or was, like, one situation higher? Like, would you find more drugs or guns or? Uh, No, I mean, there are times when they're together, but most of the time it's, I would say they're probably separate. Okay. Um, The the most typical arrest is is arrest on a warrant. Okay. So that's by far the most people you arrest. Like it's some judge, some asshole judge <laughs> uh, issued a warrant for someone's arrest. Yeah. So you pull that person over, you find out they have a warrant, and that's how they get arrested. So it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for criminal charges that came from me, like my my investigation, my stop or whatever, uh, it was for drugs and guns. The, the people physically went to jail. Now, if they had small amounts of drugs, I, you know, I'd still give them a ticket. But, um, but, yeah, like drug paraphernalia, you get a ticket, and free to go. Small amounts of marijuana, usually get a ticket. But if you had meth, crack, uh, heroin, you you were gonna go to jail. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, I don't know what your opinions is on drugs or anything um i'm all for legalization personally um but uh do you have any like thoughts about like the fact that people were arrested for drugs like do you do you find yourself like questioning that at all no i mean it was my job right like if you're uh smoking a blunt driving 115 miles an hour on 35 northbound um i mean in 2005 you i mean i'm pretty fucking common knowledge that that's against the law right yeah like and there's nothing different if you were drinking a six-pack and driving 110 miles an hour northbound and i-35 and i mean everyone knows that shit's against the law right mm-hmm. can't beat your wife or you know and there's these things people just know are against the law right like or know you shouldn't do um you know i've never broken into someone's house because they were smoking a joint right like that's like that there's no danger to the public in my opinion yeah and that's really not my you know wasn't my gig i've done search warrants on people's house we found drugs or guns um i don't have any regrets because it was the law you know so um and that was my job to enforce it you know i I've given people warnings for drugs too. I've seized their yeah, drugs yeah. and seized their drugs or seized their pipes or paraphernalia and, and let them go and gave them a warning uh, and just disposed of the drugs through the lab. Um, I think when it comes to legalization of drugs, uh, my only problem is. Um, Well, I have, uh, it's a twofold problem. One is uh, the potency of the the mm. drug sure. is higher than, so there's the 1960s argument, right? The, the hippie argument. They were smoking fucking ditch wheat back then. You're like, yeah, no, THC. There's plenty of studies on it, you know, the effects of it. Like, I'm all for that. Like, bring back the 60s weed if you want to legalize it. But high high potency um just creates another um 
I mean, like alcohol, I, I, I think they should lower the level of percent of alcohol and, and alcoholic beverages too. Um, like, I don't think you should be able to drink a, anything that's 25% alcohol. Like, I just feel like, I mean, it don't take much to get drunk, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I think we should just lower the risk by lowering those percentages. I also, I, I get the argument uh, that people are going to do it anyhow. Um, so, so, one of the problems is when you take away a business that the drug cartels do like bulk marijuana sales mm-hmm. when you take away that business um they find another drug yep so what's popular now fentanyl yeah 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 so when we passed a bunch of uh methamphetamine related laws so pseudoephedrine laws all those things that control methamphetamines in iowa and other states um so after we, we, we did that, we we got flooded with uh, Mexican ice. So we got a stronger version of meth. It came from Mexico. It came cheaper. Mm-hmm. And we cut off all the homegrown, um, you know, red phosphorus and anhydrous, you know, Billy Bob, guy with the frosted fingers, you know, <laughs> making his own meth, right? So, yeah. But we got flooded with ice. Uh, it was a more potent and... Uh, more addictive version of drugs so the cartel just responds to our laws um and in colorado you know a lot of the, a lot of the drugs in colorado are um are, are better quality right the marijuana is better quality but this the prices have constantly you know there's demand so the prices yep. go up so it still creates a, a market for illegal drugs and the problem with illegal drugs is, uh, I, I think I just r- read the other day that every drug in America, every illicit drug, uh, has fentanyl in it. It's been mm. touched with fentanyl because it it all comes through the same system. You know, it's the same cartel moving the same product. So, I mean, I get the argument for purity's sake, right? Like it's easier, uh, but you're not going to get all those customers. You know, the guy that can only afford 20, you can't buy $20 of weed at a drugstore in um, Colorado. Yeah. Not like the 20, there's not the $20 line. Yeah. There's not the $5 line. There's not the guy trading hamburgers for fucking crack, you know? Yeah. So, and you also have, like, you know, people aren't going to quit doing meth or coke or uh, fentanyl or opioids or pills and just like oh well weed's legal so I'm just gonna fucking smoke weed now like I'm gonna quit being a crackhead you know so we're not solving a drug problem you know a lot of our pills are diverted from hospitals <laughs> from nurses yeah. and um, so people want to get people want relief from yeah, from yeah. life you know that's where all these drugs and alcohol come from you know so um but there's rules you can get most of it legal um you know you if you want to smoke weed um full-time like move to illinois you know Mm -hmm. like if you want to move to colorado you know there's places to do it i don't think it's going to happen in iowa anytime soon not for a while yeah 
Well, I would be shocked uh, if it happened. There's a, it's a very... Um, and if there's any place that it, you would think logically, you know, there might be a good reason for it to happen would be in an agriculture state. Yeah, right. But uh, I just think people see that there's more negatives than positives. Um, mm. You know, there's a, a certain morality, right? Like you don't feel bad when you sell corn to people. Yeah. You know, but if you sell booze or uh, or if you sell crack and as a corporation, you know, if someone dies or goes on a shooting rampage, you might feel better, you know. That's why people, you know, people buy guns, but, you know, you know how many people do you know work selling guns? You know I mean, that's not, you know, it's a small group of people, you know. There's, there's a morale, there's a lot of people shy away from that because of moral reasons, you know, like, well, I don't oppose guns, but I don't, I don't want to be the guy fucking selling it because somebody gets killed and I'm going to feel bad. Hmm. So I think there's, um, like all the arguments are, are good, right? You can make an economic argument. Uh, you can make all sorts of really good arguments. Argument for which one? Legalization or not legalization? Or keeping it legal? Either way. Oh, okay, okay. So you can make, you can make the argument either way for, um, for for or against through you know whatever uh whatever side you want there's not a lot of good research out there um and i I say good research i mean like like a legit like empirical long-term study yeah um because you know legalization and some of these states haven't been around long enough to have um you know, good data, and we haven't really figured out what data um, to collect. And sometimes it's hard to compare state to state, right? So yeah, a lot of it does become anecdotal after at a certain point. A lot of it does what? Anecdotal, like in terms of like how people yeah are handling or whatever. Yeah, no, and there's uh, so what I found in a lot of the research or a lot of the pro uh, <laughs> articles. Are they, if you follow the sources, you know, you get to bad sources. Um, but, you know, we do need more research. And Oh, yeah, I agree. And, and I think Iowa, um, with their medical marijuana, uh, you know, that was based on research. Like these two, where did they start with? Two illnesses that were, you know, like... You could get medical marijuana oh, for yeah. like, if you had these two illnesses where there was research that supported it. And I think the list is expanded. But the percentages mm. are low, right? So um, so you're really not going to get high off of medical marijuana in Iowa. Um, and I think that's a better approach, right? Like baby step it. Mm. You know, like you know, if we can see that there's no abuse of this system or if we can put a system in place to figure out what the abuse will be. Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. That we can put in roadblocks to that, you know. So, yeah, no, I mean, I've always been a critic of the high potency of marijuana. I mean, I think it's just, um, I, you know, it's like the same thing happened to drugs. Like, there's a market, there's demand, they're going to increase it to, 
you know there's like a lot of like people my generation hippie stoners who've like championed marijuana use and then they you know they take like psilocybin and like they it's like oh it's like the same it's like no it's not the same thing and they start lumping like all of it into just this like go happy thing it's really not yeah and that's what i think uh well that's what's missing from the argument is that um you know when we talk about legalization are we what are we talking about like you know we're gonna legalize water yeah (laughs) what type of water are we gonna legalize is it seltzer water pond water you know what what's going in the product is it going to be fda approved is you know you know is there going to be regulations you know you know what are we doing like we and people like well alcohol's you know um you know alcohol's a drug you got and nicotine's a drug you know um but those shit that's just regulated you know like you there's only so much percent of beer alcohol and a beer and wine and you know spirits like it's regulated i i wish they would lower them um because i think it would reduce fatalities but but they're different in different states too you know missouri you can get a higher percentage of alcohol in a beer than you can in iowa um in canada you can drink like one beer and be drunk you know like, <laughs> In Germany the same way, you know, so um so I think those are the the questions. We're we're just talking about we use the name yeah. marijuana, but we're not talking like if we're uh, we're talking about low uh low THC marijuana, then that's a different story than hmm. um you know, that shit they're selling uh that's high potency yeah. you know, that came that's you know a measured product, you know, but you know, I'm not for marijuana laced with fentanyl. Yeah, or oh, I agree. Or, yeah. you know, but you know, that's that opens a door to you know things I think are bad. Yeah, if you drive through states that that have legalized marijuana, um, Oklahoma, some parts of Illinois. You know, I think there's, you can see a visible decline in some of those areas to the town, maybe. Um, like in what way? Uh, like, it just seems more run down. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like they put them in the fucking worst. Either they put it in the worst locations, the dispensaries, oh, yeah. or, uh, you know, and a lot of them are in border, you know, border Towns, they know mm. they're selling it to a different state, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like they want the dispensary right over the border from Texas. <laughs> like, come on, you know, like that's <laughs> so. Um, I don't know, I just think there needs to be um, some more research done to support you know, it still is against the law of the federal government, and the yeah. federal government is taking a huge step by not enforcing. Uh, a lot of federal laws when it comes to you know drug sales you yeah know? so it's a you know you can't generally you can't bank you know you can't use the banking system for uh, illegal drug sales but yeah you know we they kind of turned a blind eye and, and they've accepted it so i think there will be changes eventually um but i don't know what they'll look like I think we should outlaw cigarettes before anything. <laughs> well, you and I might disagree on that, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, just, what was that? I just hate going in a restaurant. 
Not in Iowa. I mean, Iowa's great, but if you go anywhere else in this country, go in a restaurant and fucking full of cigarette smoke. Oh, yeah. Well, like in Wyoming. I still have a distinct memory of, like, uh, being up there with our family and, like, going in and a guy smoking a cigarette bar. I'm like, what? Yeah. Never seen that before, you know? Yeah, so you get used to it in Iowa, but, you know, like, in Louisiana, there's um, one of the first time I went back, I was like, God, the fuck? Like, how do people fucking breathe in here, you know? like Oh, you can smoke in restaurants in Louisiana? Yeah, you can smoke there. Uh, I want to say it was that way in Georgia, too, when I was... Hmm. Bars, like in the bar area. And maybe there's a bar area only in Georgia, but... Like, there's Alaska, you can smoke fucking... You can smoke mm-hmm. while you're eating a cheeseburger, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of places where you can still smoke, and it's in hotel rooms. Like, um, I, you know, that just blew my mind when I left here. Cause I got so used to smoke free. Yeah. But, you know, if you're not a smoker and you move into a, a smoking room, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just you smoking, but like every human being for the last two years has smoked in that room. <laughs> yeah, it's even worse when uh, you've quit, like me. Like, uh, oh yeah, it's just I, a, like a reminder, right? <laughs> well, uh, my I have a lady who smokes like three D houses down. I can smell <laughs> like she's right there every time I go outside. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Um, last question about policing. Um, there's been a recent movement. Uh, we were kind of just glossing over it, like defund the police. Um, what are your thoughts on that whole movement as a whole? And uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's dumb. So yeah. um, so everyone calls the police. So it doesn't matter uh, what race or gender you are. We need someone to call for help, right? Yeah. So uh, there's studies done in, um, I think, Dr. Lau and some of her colleagues did a study in Houston that did an assessment of, you know, neighborhoods by demographics, you know, high minority demographics uh, and and white neighborhoods in the Houston area, greater Houston area. And they measured, you know, how they felt about the police at the neighborhood level and calls for service, like who called the police. And there's no difference. So uh, they put, you know, that there is this national narrative that, you know, there's, this anti-police sentiment among mm-hmm. uh, different races, but when it came down to the neighborhood in this level, that they, everyone called the police the equal amount of times, um, a percentage, mm-hmm. and, and they equally wanted the police in their neighborhoods. I see. So, um, I think, and, and you see it on the news, like somebody's fucking kid gets killed, or you know, what's the first? I hope you know they catch them and they fucking pay, right? Like. You know, they're not talking about the hit squad. They're talking about the police. Yeah. So, um, you know, people want the police. People want, when you're having a heart attack, you call 911. The guy that shows up with the AED is the police officer, not the fucking ambulance. Because the ambulance is slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, defunding police is stupid. Um, And it's a catchphrase. Uh, Now, there's... uh, been a gradual creep in what people want police departments to do so do you want the police officers to 
respond to crimes and emergencies or do you want them to deal with social problems? So we've asked a lot of these police departments to deal with social problems and their solution to the social problems is locking people up, right? Mm. That doesn't solve the problem. Uh, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of incorporating um, social workers in the police departments. Yeah, I agree. So when you, let's say these people get to a jail, um, that they get debriefed by a social worker, not the child rapist and, you know, fucking someone that just stabs someone, but the guy that stole a loaf of bread or the guy that yeah, stole... Yeah. Um, you know, doesn't have a job or doesn't have a car. Like, get, let's get this motherfucker a social worker and see what we can do to help him. Um, and they have to keep c- committing crimes, right? Like, that's that's on them. But uh, you know, we have programs. There's also a misconception that so America has 29 or so entitlement programs and 90. One or 92% of all Americans will use one at one point in their life. And the only other country that's higher is France. Um, so we're, we got shit tons of fucking programs, right? But there's a, in, in criminal justice, studying criminal justice, there's a, this always a scenario in the, in the ethics class. You know, is it okay to steal a loaf of bread if you, to feed your hungry children? And the answer is no, it's against the law. Um, but we got WIC, right? Like women and infant and children. We got a way to get food for those children. Mm. We got food stamps. We have programs for those. Like stealing a loaf of bread is not a program. But we have a funded program for that. Now, the disconnect is we don't have that social worker to connect that person to that program. They might not know they're eligible. Or they might not know, might not be able to be, be able to read or write to fill out the forms, or to own a computer to fill out the form, to get the f- free food for their kids. So then they feel forced to steal it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a societal ethics, and there's the individual. Like I mean, if you're a parent, you're gonna do whatever you can to, for your parent to survive. That's the ethics that people judge. Yeah. Like oh, I'm gonna fucking steal the bread because my kids are hungry. But there's societies like, look, we've already got a program for that. So yeah. quit stealing shit. But we don't have a way to connect um, those people. Mm, look up social worker in a phone book. You know, like yeah, what, yeah, yeah. where do you find a social worker? Like, who's, you know, these programs are difficult to navigate. And only the people that uh, are in that arena know how to navigate. So, um, you know, most of our programs that are in prisons and for post-incarceration are done by religious groups um so you know we we just have a real disconnect with um and and those are the people that commit the most crimes or you know people that have already been to prison like Mm, yeah one percent of the population commits crimes and most of them already been to fucking prison so um like, if we can intervene, if people get interviewed at the jail or 
or get intervened with a social worker, I think we can prevent some of that cycle mm-hmm. and get them to a social program that exists. Because um, you shouldn't have to steal bread because you can fucking fill out a form and get it. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, mental illness is a, a huge problem. Um, you know, we, we deinstitutionalized mental illness in the 80s, which was a horrible idea, but that was a, uh, a liberal movement to slay that dragon. Uh, we should have made mental institutions better, right? We, we, we should have, you know, if, yeah. if it wasn't good as an institution, maybe it would have been better in smaller private yeah, mm, I see. But there was a, a theory that we let everyone out of the mental institutions that all go to their families. Well, their families are the ones that fucking put them in there. They didn't <laughs> want anything to do with them, right? So they end up in prisons and on the streets. Uh, there's a growing number of people that have mental illness uh, because of drug abuse. So that's not curable, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. like you fry so many brain cells, you're just not functional. But there's got to be a place to put those people. Uh, to help them and without um, facilities to help people uh, and someone to get them to there um, you're just going to keep putting them in prison so um, I think defunding the police is stupid (laughs) Um, funding um, mechanisms the police everyone calls the police so um, they're the face of the city government or the face of whatever government. So if there's any problem, they call the police. <laughs> Stop light goes out, they call the, fuck, call the police to tell them, and they tell the public works. So if we get to a point where we have more integrated social workers um, in the police force, like in the police building, not making a police officer a social worker, having that social worker be able to interview Mm. and talk to them um, I think that will help but you know we need to pick and choose what we want the police to do and if it's we want to enforce the front plate law then then so be it you know every Iowan that's ever gotten a front plate ticket that's pissed off about it should write their senator and tell them or their representative Mm. Whatever law it is, you know, if you get enough people to say these are dumb. Um, I mean, there's other things we could do to help people. We can eliminate criminal histories. On, um, I think there's a traffic ticket of mine from, like, 1993 that you can look up online. Like, <laughs> or like, what good does that do, right? Like, we're wasting that data for the last, you know, 30 years. Yeah. Um, Let's just eliminate that. Uh, not just mine. You can keep mine. <laughs> eliminate everyone else's. But, yeah. you know. Where, and, and people that commit crimes between 18 and 26, man, you're not even. I mean, you're you're not an adult yet. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're still learning, yeah. You're making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And that's the transition period, you know. Most people age out of crime after 26, so. But. If you get charges between 18 and 26, that shit stays with you in that fucking system for forever, you know? So, I don't know. 
I, I so I think defunding the police is dumb. Um, we could fund the government smarter. I mean, we have all the programs, but we still need the police. I mean, we don't defund the fire department, right? Like, let's defund the ambulance crew. Like, yeah. I mean, defund. We should defund fucking public works. I mean, these motherfuckers sitting around there. How many potholes I crossed on the way here? <laughs> like, how the fucking. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, you know, I. It's. I mean, it's a personal thing for me too. So I'm yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I'm biased. You know, like um, we there are things we can do to hold police accountable, and it's citizen oversight. Um, databases are dumb, but um, you know, other states that we can benchmark off of other states. You know, Georgia has um, a post, like you're certified by post, and then. All your records and training and discipline all goes to posts, and posts can suspend your certification. And it's a more, you know, we have a process in Iowa, but it's not like if you leave one job to another in Georgia as a police officer, you have to. There's an explanation that the chief of police has to say you were in good standing mm. before you can get a job somewhere else. So it adds some more accountability. You know, there's things we can do that are different, but. Um, you know, just a lot of civil service, a lot of things that keep bad police officers on are, are civil service rules and unions. Um, so if you can make it easier to fire some people, um, that would help. Cool. Ian, we cleared two hours, man. We did what? We did, we cleared two hours. Oh, well, we had fucking like hour of dog time. <laughs> Yeah, we'll let that out. Um, do you have any final words before we wrap up here? No, man. I uh, I really I I enjoy some of your podcasts. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy it too, really, because you know when I was a kid, um, NWA, Too Short. You know, like there was this big boom where finally white people could listen to <laughs> uh, rap music, right? Like it yeah. was an explosion in the eighties. Uh, and I was a part of that. Um, two live crew was huge, you know. So it's um, so I can relate a little bit uh, to some of your your podcasts, you yeah. know. And it's nice to see it's more um, mainstream now, right? Like it was. Oh yeah. Uh, when we were kids, it was a bit ostracized for listening to that music. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's more acceptable now, and I I think it's great. Um, you know, and then of of course, everyone I listen to is either dead or a movie star. So. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's just like everything else; everything's changed. But it's interesting. I enjoy the I enjoy most of your podcasts, and uh, <laughs> so I appreciate you having me. It's nice to spend time yeah. with my nephew. So yeah, this was a good conversation, man. I, I honestly learned a lot about you. So yeah, well, I mean, there's more to learn, but <laughs> I'll share that with the public. <laughs> Cool. All right. Peace out, everybody. We'll see you next time.